Good morning. I'd also like to say thank you to all the men that uh, showed up two weekends ago to help us move. It was much appreciated. And we're settling in. Slowly but surely. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll be reading the entire chapter. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to, dis- to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, but as it is... God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to open up God's word. Let's look to him for his help. Father, we come again to your word this morning. Father, we eagerly desire that your spirit would open it up and that you would bring it to bear on each and every person here. Father, please use this offering this morning to build up your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been working through chapter 12 over the last two weeks. This is our third week closing off chapter 12. And what we've seen is that God graciously bestows gifts to each and every person in his church for the good of his church. And that the Holy Spirit dispensing of these gifts are varied. He gives different gifts to different people at different times for different purposes. But there's one common thread that runs through it all. It's this, that the gift is not for the person who receives it. The gift is not for the person who receives it. We've just come out of peak gift-giving season all over the world. In the United States alone, the average U.S. adult spent $700 on Christmas. So when totaled together, that means the United States spent approximately $500 billion on Christmas gifts. How many of those Christmas gifts do you think were given with the express intent that they were to bless somebody other than the person who received that gift? Not one. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. When the Spirit gives a gift, He intends us to use it for one another. This is counterintuitive for us. And it was also counterintuitive for the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago. They measured their own spiritual maturity by their giftedness. They were like immature children on Christmas morning piling their toys, piling their gifts up to them next, on the, next to them on the couch and comparing their gifts with everyone else in the room to see who got the best gifts, who was the favorite child. This Christmas... There was something really sweet about watching Oliver open his first gift. He kind of fumbled with the wrapping paper, and then when he finally got it off, he revealed a plastic truck. And he was excited. 
So he rolled this little truck around, and he was completely content. He was not interested in another gift under that tree. But, so this, that was sweet to see, but kind of as his dad, I felt a little tinge of sadness because I know in years to come that is going to change. Dana and I will have the responsibility to parent him through the selfishness and the jealousy that absorbs every human heart. Because we instinctively make gifts about us. It's the human instinct. It's our sinful instinct that we make gifts about us. And throughout this letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been trying to systematically dismantle the Corinthian skewed perception of what it means to be spiritual. They thought spiritual maturity equals spiritual blessings. Really, all they had done was whitewashed their selfish hearts with spirituality. They had just covered up their selfish hearts with amassing these spiritual gifts. And they were like children comparing their gifts with one another. They eagerly desired the Spirit's manifestations in their own lives and in their midst, and they compared their spiritual experiences to each other's spiritual experiences, and they assumed that these were evidences of their own spiritual maturity. And that they, the, the gifts that the Lord had given them were the, the platform by which they've been given authority to now speak and to teach. And so spiritual immaturity was just breeding itself even deeper into the Corinthian church. So Paul, with the help of the Spirit of God, is seeking to turn this ship around. God is helping us to see that when the Spirit gives a gift, it is for Him. It's for His purposes and not for ours. So Paul is ultimately going to say, I want you to eagerly pursue spiritual gifts, but I want you to desire them in an entirely new way. An entirely new way. So please open your Bibles again with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to focus on the last paragraph in the chapter, verses 27 to 31. If you're a guest with us this morning, there's a Bible in the pew right there in front of you. And our passage is on page 1140 of the Pew Bible. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. Please follow along as I read. This is God's word. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you yet a more excellent way. So at the beginning of chapter 12, 
Paul began to address concerns that the Corinthian church themselves had about spiritual gifts. They had raised these concerns to Paul, and then Paul was responding to their concerns. And now, in this final chapter, he's summarizing where he's been. And he holds out to the Corinthians two acts of God's grace. Two profound acts of God's grace that when perceived together transform the way that we pursue spiritual gifts. When you see what God has done through his grace, it changes the way we use the gifts he's given to us. So we're going to look at each of those amazing acts of God's grace one at a time. The first is that God has made each of us into the body of Christ. God has made each of us into, he's woven each of us into the body of Christ. And the second is that God has appointed officers and gifts that are necessary for the health and growth of his church. So let's take one at a time and intently look into God's grace and see how this transforms the way that we then steward the gifts that God has given to us. First, God has woven each of us into the body of Christ. Look with me right at the very beginning of this paragraph, verse 27. You are the body of Christ. First, we need to notice who is it that Paul is speaking to. The you, we don't have this in English, but the you there is a plural you. It's like when Sky. And her sweet Texan drawl says, y'all. <laughs> y'all. That's what Paul is saying. He says, y'all are the body of Christ. But how did this happen? How did God make us into a body? So scan back to verse 13. Paul writes, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. So when you were converted, God filled you with his Holy Spirit. And having filled you with the Holy Spirit, united you spiritually to Christ. So the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is the means by which you've been incorporated, united to the Lord Jesus. But, and this happened when Paul was converted, he was united to Christ. When I was converted... I was united to Christ. And when you were converted, you were united to Christ. But do you see what's happening here? As each of us, as individuals, are being united into Christ, we are also united into one another through Christ. We are formed together as a body. So sometimes we can just think of the body as just a metaphor for like an organism or an organization. We talk about a business or a corporation is being, that's where we get the word incorporated, is being brought into the body. But this is more than a metaphor. It's more than a metaphor. It's a spiritual reality. It's what God has accomplished by his grace. He has woven us into the body of Christ. So he says, you have, you have been formed into a body, Christ's body, and this is why Paul can say, y'all, y'all are the body of Christ. By being united to Christ individually, we are united to one another corporately. God has made us into 
a body. Now, what's the result of being made into Christ's body? We, all of us who have been united to Christ through the Spirit, are united to one another now. And we are indelibly marked with a profound unity of purpose, mutuality, and interdependency. This is not something that we work up. It is what God has done by his grace. We work it out. We don't work it up. And so now as Christ's body, God, in his triune nature, his three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, is working his purposes out through us. Paul made this point earlier in chapter 12 when he attributed gifts, services, and activities of the church to the different persons of the Godhead. So look back with me there to verses 4 through 6. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. So we, the church, we participate, not essentially, but by the grace of God in the unity of the Godhead. Wow. Wow. So we participate in the unity of the Godhead. God has woven us into his very person by his grace. Therefore, if we use the Spirit's gifts for ourselves, hoarding them or leveraging them for personal advantage, we're working against the grace of God. And the result, the natural result, will be dissension and disunity within the body. But if we each yield the gifts that the Spirit has given to us unto the Lord's service, and we depend on him for his power, we will see God's redemptive purposes at work in our midst. And we will know the joy of being united to one another in purpose and being used by God. So what does this look like? What does it look like practically? Well, one thing it might mean is if you sense you have a gift, the Spirit has given you a gift, say teaching, it means surrendering how and when it's employed to the will of the Lord. How does he want you to use the gift to serve his body? Remember, your gift was given by the Spirit for God's purpose, not your own. I find it instructive to think about Moses, who when he was a young prince in Pharaoh's court, he was filled with zeal when he saw two Israelites fighting. And he, wanted, he pushed himself into the fight to bring reconciliation between his Israel, Israelite, Israelite brothers. And they responded to him, who made you ruler and judge over us? Now, of course, God was going to make Moses the judge of Israel, but it was in God's time, not Moses's. The purposes are the Lord. The Spirit's gifts do not determine when, where, and how we should serve. God does that. It's for his purpose. The Spirit gives us so that we might contribute to his purposes and not our own. 
two weeks ago, Pastor Ed brought us to Exodus 35, where Moses gave, was given the instruction on how to build the temple. And God told Moses that the Spirit had uniquely equipped Bezalel and Aholiab with the skills necessary to lead that work. So the Spirit had given them gifts, and they were now to employ them into the service of the Lord, into his purposes. So it means for us to seek the Lord, and he will make clear when, where, and how to use the gifts the Spirit has given you. Don't let your gift lead, but let the Lord lead. So by this extraordinary work of grace, all of us who are Christians have been made part of the body of Christ. And God will use us to accomplish his purposes. So we must be careful not to take what the Spirit has given to us and then to employ it for ourselves. Give the gifts of the Spirit gives you back into the service of the Lord and his people and trust God to empower and establish the efforts. And if we do that, we will see God move powerfully in our midst. We will know both the sweet unity of God's purpose, but we will also get a front row seat to God's redemptive purposes at work here at ECF. Last Sunday, Ben, Daniel, and I were out on the landing And we were talking about how we appreciated the new initiatives at ECF in the new year. The uh, joining Pastor Reed in his Bible reading plan, but also memorizing scripture as a church. And we're uh, exchanging about how excited we are because they have potential to unite us together as a body. But then Ben joked, as he often does, he said, all we need is matching robes and matching haircuts. And we all laughed. But we laughed because that's exactly not what's happening here. As Paul continues in verse 27, he says, and you are individually members of it. You see, we don't lose our individuality in the unity of the body. What unifies us is Christ, not externals like robes and haircuts. And this is why some of those initiatives, like joining one another in the Bible reading plan and committing to memorize scripture together, have great potential to bring about unity because their focus is on Christ. They're rooting us deeper into Christ, the source of our unity, so that the beauty of our individuality might flourish. They're aimed to root us deeper in Christ so that you as a unique person might blossom into all God intends for you through the gifts he has given to you. So Paul said earlier, if the whole body were an eye, where, where would its hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would be its sense of smell? So we need, he's making the point that we need the diversity of our personalities and gifts or else there would be no body. But there must be something that holds us together. And it can't be ourselves. Our culture, it really suffers from passionately pursuing individuality for individuality's sake. With no enduring sense of what unifies us. If, 
it seems like it's, it's cool to be different. It seems like everyone wants to assert their uniqueness, but very few know why their uniqueness matters. Think of your individuality in Christ as like one piece of glass that uniquely reflects Christ's glory while simultaneously contributing to a magnificent mosaic designed by God. That's what it means to be an individual united into the body of Christ. So Paul says, verse 27, 27, individually members of it. You are unique individuals, but your individuality is only rightly expressed in our union to Christ. So the question becomes, how might the Spirit use who I am and what God has given to me for the sake of Christ? Where is the need and how has the Spirit uniquely equipped me to meet that need? So that first wonder of God's grace is that he has united us individually into a body, Christ's body. And the second act of God's grace that we're now going to gaze into this morning is that God personally appoints officers and gifts that are necessary for the health and what growth of his body. Do you see how much God cares for his church? He is intimately and actively involved in building and equipping the church. Look down with me at verse 28. He says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. The picture we have here is God entirely and actively invested in the church, ensuring that the church has all of the personnel and resources necessary for its own health and well-being. We should never fall into the trap of thinking that God's church is on its own. That God started it and then stepped back to see what we would do with it. He is actively involved. And he's appointed both officers and gifts to be used at different times and for different needs for the sake of the church. And he does it with all of his wisdom. And we know both from scripture and church history that God rejoices, he's pleased with using unlikely candidates, people we wouldn't necessarily expect or we wouldn't recruit for the job. He uses cracked jars of clay to preserve and present the glory of the gospel. There are are several things we need to notice here about God's gracious care for the church that will help us understand more fully what Paul is saying. The first is that Paul is, when he uses the word church, he's referring to the church universal, not a local church. So not every church has apostles, not every church has prophets, not every church has teachers and workers of miracles, so on. And not even every generation has all these offices. For I understand apostles to refer to that very first generation of witnesses 
who were authorized by the Lord Jesus to testify to his resurrection and proclaim the gospel. Their testimony then became the rule of faith by which we measure all other teaching and is recorded for us in scripture. And so God has distributed these offices and gifts as the church has needed them across the centuries. Nor is this a comprehensive list of all the offices and gifts that God has given to us, the church. For there are some gifts that Paul mentions earlier in verses 8 through 11 that he leaves off the list here. But one thing that's really important to notice is that in this list, there is a clear prioritization of the gifts. Paul says first, second, third, and so on. He's highlighting the priority of the ministry of apostles, prophets, and teachers. And God's sovereign work building and sustaining the church. Apostles, prophets, and teachers have a foundational role. So in what way are these primary offices? Well, they're primary because all three of these offices, apostles, prophets, and teachers, are foundational to the health and the growth and the well-being of the church. For they all deal with the ministry of the revelation of God and the mystery of the gospel. All three offices deal with the ministry of the revelation of God and the mystery of the gospel. Now we say the mystery of the gospel because earlier in Paul, Paul says that the apostles are stewards of God's mysteries, the gospel. But the gospel isn't a mystery in a sense that we can't understand it. It's a mystery in a sense that it was hidden in the past, but now in the revelation of Jesus Christ, it has become known. And so the apostles are entrusted with what was hidden to make it known to the nations. And the prophets continue in that role along with the teachers. For there can be no church without this fundamental understanding of who God is and the gospel. They are utterly foundational and ought to be prioritized. So this office of apostles, they laid the unchanging foundation of the church in the gospel. Prophets as I understand them, call people to remain faithful to that word, to that gospel. Almost exclusively in the Old Testament, prophets had the role of reminding God's people of God's purpose and calling them back into line with it. Almost exclusively. And God has given the church men who play that same role. Martin Luther is one prominent example But the church history is filled with men who have called the church back to the gospel. While teachers, God gives teachers to the church to build them. Sorry, God gives teachers to the church to build it up with sound teaching. Teachers are always needed in every generation due to our constant need to know and understand God's word and apply it to our lives. So even as these these foundational offices play a primary role for the church. Paul says God gives a diversity of gifts to the church. But he's eager that the Corinthians eagerly pursue or intensely desire what he calls the higher gifts. He wants us to crave and pursue and go after the 
the, the Spirit's gifts that are implicit in these three offices. He wants us to intensely pursue the Spirit's ministry of God's word in and among us and that it would have the appropriate effect in our lives. Think for a moment if a football team spent every practice, their entire salary budget, and poured it exclusively into special teams. They would hardly be able to be called a football team at all because they would be woefully unprepared for 90% of the game. Paul does not want the church to neglect special teams, but to be passionate about developing the fundamentals, the backbone of the team, the backbone of the church. And Paul cautions them, like Jesus before, not to be dazzled by spiritual power and let it misplace your priorities. Do you remember Jesus when he sent out the 12 disciples to the region surrounding Judea to proclaim the kingdom? And they came back giddy as a schoolboy. They were so excited that the demons obeyed their commands, that they were subject to their authority. And Jesus said, whoa, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to your authority. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Exciting displays of power can easily grab our attention and distract us from what is more essential and what is more foundational. So Paul points us back to God's word and says, hunger for the Spirit to do that in your midst, to bring that to bear in power in your life and in your fellowship. So does this mean that everyone ought to fill a role of apostle, prophet, or teacher? Of course not. Not all are prophets, not all are teachers. But it does mean that as a body, as a whole, we should individually and corporately long for the Spirit's ministry of the Word of God. We should hunger for it and intensely pursue after it. We should eagerly desire the higher gifts to be at work in and among us. So when we get this clear picture of what God is doing in and through us by his grace, it completely transforms how we think about spiritual gifts and how we administer them in our own lives. For God in his grace has united us each one to another so that we all so that we might use the individual gifts he gives us for his purpose serving the lord and trusting that god will establish them in power and god cares so much for his church he has prioritized the ministry of the word for its health growth and well-being so we too should hunger for it and use the and pursue the word and that it would strengthen and build us up as a church So what does this mean for us? That we ought to participate in God's grace. That we might jump fully into the stream of God's grace. Cultivating an appetite for God's word. Hungering to see the glory of Christ in the scriptures. And the glory of what he has done. So that we might be strengthened and rooted in the truth together. Because because that we believe that 
the ministry of God's word is of primary importance here at ECF. We seek to make it a priority here. You'll see that if, if you look at the way that we are shaped as a church, we focus, we recognize that all ministry happens through the word of God. We teach and unpack God's word in Sunday school. We promote personal Bible reading. Many of us have embarked in memorizing scripture together. We pray every week for the Spirit's power to accompany the proclamation of God's word. We recite the creed, which reminds us of those truths that we've inherited from the apostles who were appointed by God to lay the foundation for the church so that we are standing on the very foundation that God established. We prioritize the preaching of the word. And I'm sure you can think of many other ways that we prioritize God's word in our midst. As individuals, we we ought to pray and hunger for a greater and greater appetite for God's words. Ears that hear. And that we would all be built up together in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. But even eagerly and intensely desiring the ministry of God's word in our midst can still be distorted and even divisive, if not pursued in love. If we're hungry for the church to be established in God's word, that is not enough. It needs to be bound up in love. So Paul points us forward in this last phrase of our section to a more excellent way to pursue God's grace together, love And we'll dive into that more next week together. But for now, let's pray. Father, God of all grace, you have knit all of us who belong to you into a body. And you have equipped us with gifts to be displayed for your purposes. Father, please keep us from ever making your gifts about us. And may we long to seek and to see your church here and around the world built up in the love and the truth of the gospel. Amen.